Our readings this weekend, kind of a continuation of, uh, as you know, we kind of walk through these readings. Unfortunately, last weekend, uh, not unfortunately, but last weekend, we took a hiatus from kind of the progression through the readings, and we celebrated the transfiguration. So when we get to our first reading today from the book of Kings about Elijah, we're missing part of the story. Now, it's a complete story in itself that Elijah's on the mountain and he hears God's voice, but why is Elijah on this mountain? If you remember the story, Elijah's running for his life, and that's why he's on this mountain. So I think it's important to understand what comes before this, to understand where Elijah is. Elijah was a prophet in Israel. Ahab was the king of Israel during that time. Ahab married a foreign woman by the name of Jezebel. Jezebel, being a foreign woman, worshipped false gods, worshiped the gods that were not, that was not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so when she married Ahab, she brought with her into the nation of Israel, the gods that she worshiped. And not only did she bring the gods that she worshiped, she brought the prophets and the priests of the God that she worshiped. And so having these prophets and these priests in the land, in the nation of Israel, made the people of Israel then fall away from their worship of God and of their love of God and fall into the worship of these false gods at the behest of the prophets and the priests that Jezebel brought with her. And so by the inspiration of God, Elijah goes to Ahab and says, listen, you need to kick out these false gods. You need to send away these prophets and these priests. And Ahab's a little bit afraid of his wife. And being a little bit afraid of his wife, he says, I won't do it. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to kick out these priests. My wife wants them here. They're staying. And so Elijah says, fine, let's have a contest. Let's see who is God actually. Is it the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that the land of Israel has, always, has followed? Or is it the gods of Jezebel? And so he tells the, he gathers the prophets and the priests of the gods of Jezebel, and he says, all right, you guys build an altar, you offer a sacrifice, and I will do the same. I'll build an altar, I'll offer a sacrifice, and whoever's sacrifice is consumed by fire that comes from heaven, we know is God, is the God that we ought to worship. And so Elijah says, I'm one man, there's a lot of you priests and prophets, you guys go first, build your altar, offer your sacrifice. So they do that. And they begin to offer and do their worship, and they begin to dance around the altar, and they begin cutting themselves and crying louder, and Elijah kind of begins to mock them and says, cry louder, your God, he might be taking a nap. Cry louder, your God might be in the restroom. Cry louder so your God can hear you. And eventually they get tired, and Elijah says, all right, that's enough. Let me now offer my sacrifice. Elijah has the altar built. He offers a sacrifice. And then he tells his servants, he says, I want you to go and fill all the jugs that you have with water. And they go and fill them. He says, now pour them on the sacrifice. And they do. He says, do it again. And he says, do it again. So three times they take this water and they dump it on the sacrifice. I want to say it's like 100 gallons of water. They pour on the sacrifice and on the altar so much water that's kind of flowing and, and settling around the altar. There's just a pool of water underneath the altar. And Elijah bows his head in prayer and calls upon our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God as well. 
And fire comes from heaven and consumes the sacrifice on the altar, consumes all the water that has been poured upon that sacrifice, and consumes the altar itself. God makes himself known to all of the people that are there present in order to show them who is the mighty God. And Elijah then goes after all of the prophets and puts them all to death so they no longer lead people astray. And of course, Jezebel, and he tells Jezebel, like, you need to stop worshiping these false gods. And she says, no. And she says, I'm going to kill you. And so Elijah says, I'm out of here. I'm not going to die by your hand. And so Elijah's running for his life. He leaves the nation. He goes out into the wilderness and he finds himself beneath a tree. He's kind of just, he realizes that, you know, Lord, your people are uh, stiff-necked people. They just don't want to follow you. And he's like, just kill me. Just let me die. And God sends an angel and says, eat and drink. And he goes back to sleep. And an angel comes again, wakes him up and says, eat and drink. And a third time, the angel comes and says, eat and drink, for your journey is long. And he eats and drinks and he gets up and he walks into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and finds himself on this mountain at Mount Horeb where he's living in a cave where we, find, where we pick up in our story today. And on this mountain, Elijah is looking to hear the voice of God, looking for that consolation that God is with him. And I think in some way we all do this, right? We all look for this consolation that God is near us. And we, may, we have these storms in our life. We have these crazy things going on in our life. And we just need a little bit of time to just sit back and be like, Lord, show us your face. Show me that I'm following your will. Lord, show me your presence. I think we all do this. And that's what Elijah is doing on this mountain. And he's in this cave and he's waiting for God. And he's praying to God. And this huge wind comes up and kind of throws rocks all over the mountain and makes this loud driving wind. And of course, if he's in a cave, there's probably, the cave is whistling probably really loudly. And he says, God's not in this wind. And then the earthquake, and then there's an earthquake and the entire mountain just begins to shake and rocks come tumbling down. And Elijah says, God, you're not in this earthquake. And finally, there's this fire that spreads all over the mountain, consumes everything that's on the mountain. And Elijah says, I know, God, you're not in the fire. And finally, Elijah hears this small whisper. And he goes to the entrance of the cave and he says, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Because he realizes that God speaks to us in the small whispers of our heart. Elijah has to get away from all of the craziness of what was going on in the land of Israel. And he has to go away and go into this silent place in order to hear the voice of God. And I think this is a witness for us. We all have storms in our life. We all have moments in our life that the world seems like it's crushing down upon us. It seems like our life is just going to crush us and put us in the crucible and there's going to be nothing left and, God's, and everything is taken away from us. But we find that God is in the silence, in the quiet, in that still, small whisper. And if we listen attentively and we listen to our Lord, what does our Lord tell us? He usually tells us, you are mine. 
You are loved. I am here. You're not alone. I am with you. That's what God tells us. If we take the time to listen, if we take the time for silence, to be able to listen to our Lord. We as Catholics have the great privilege of having our Lord's presence among us in the Eucharist. And when we talk about our Catholic churches, these steps that go up into the sanctuary and eventually up to the tabernacle are a symbol of the mountain of the Lord of hosts that we are meant to climb to get to our Lord. Throughout Scripture, we hear about climbing the mountain to get closer and closer to God. That's symbolized in the way that we build our Catholic churches. So we, in a sense, when we enter into the church, it is like we are entering onto Mount Horeb, into the cave in which Elijah lived in, in order for us to sit in silence and to listen to that still, small voice of the Lord. Because our Lord is present to us here in the Eucharist. And here in our parish in Colby, we're blessed to have 24 hours of adoration beginning at 7.30 a.m. on Thursdays and going till 8 a.m. on Friday mornings where we can look at Jesus face-to-face in the Eucharist and the monstrance and we can listen in silence and wait for him to speak. Where we can quiet our hearts and focus on the face of Jesus and listen to his voice. And I think this is important. I think this is how we find what God wants for us in our lives. Because we see it again here in our gospel today. Our gospel today in Matthew chapter 14 takes place after Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus has his apostles. We know the story. There's there's, uh, five loaves and two fish. Jesus takes them, multiplies them. And the apostles are kind of giddy with excitement that, oh my gosh, look how Jesus took this small amount and he fed the five loaves. They gathered up and then Jesus says, get out of here, leave. Go to the other side of the sea. He doesn't let them stick around. Jesus dismisses the crowds. And the reason for that is Jesus doesn't want the apostles to begin to have this prideful relationship with him that, oh, we, we did this miracle or that he doesn't want them to get attached to the miracle oh we want to keep seeing these miracles of Jesus we want to be attached to the miracles no Jesus wants us to be attached to him and to only look to him not to the miracles but to him and him alone he wants to be us to be attached to and so he sends the apostles across the sea They're in this boat on the sea and the storm comes up and their boat is ready to be crushed by the sea. And they look out and they've been fighting the sea all night long. We hear that it's in the last last, uh, watch of the night, which is about 3 to 6 a.m. So they've been struggling against the sea all night long. And they look out and they see this man coming across the water, walking on the water. And you and I would be afraid like the apostles were like, "What? what the heck is going on here? And they look out, and Peter looks, and all the apostles look, and Peter cries out, It's the Lord. It's Jesus. And Peter, as he always does, he still has that doubt in his heart in a little bit, and he cries out, and he says, Lord, if it's really you, call to me, and let me walk on the water to you. And Jesus says, Okay, come. Walk. Peter hesitatingly puts one foot out of the boat on the water, 
could probably test it out a little bit. Looking at Jesus. Puts his other foot out on the water. Tests it. Make sure it's firm. Looking at Jesus. And he begins to take one step after another towards Jesus. He's looking at him the whole time. He takes one more step. And as he's starting to realize, oh my gosh, I'm walking on the water. He takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to see the storm around him. And he begins to sink. He begins to drown in the water. And Jesus reaches down and pulls him out. And immediately they're back in the boat. The fathers and the doctors of the church have seen the sea as the world in which we live. The world in which we live is often crushing in upon us. Our life seems to sometimes be crushing in upon us. And Jesus comes into our life and we look to him. And as long as we have our eyes on him, we don't see the craziness of the world. We don't see how the world is crushing in on us. But if we take our eyes off of Jesus and we begin to look at the storm that is around us, we begin to sink. We begin to fall into despair. We begin to fall into fall into fear and we start to distrust everything that we know uh, that we have no that we know in God so we have to go back and put our eyes back on Jesus Jesus will walk with us through the storms Jesus will be with us in the midst of the storms Jesus will be with us throughout it all but if we take our eyes off of him and look at the storm we'll sink once we begin to think that we're doing this on our own, we'll sink and we'll be crushed. But if we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. As our world kind of gets crazier and crazier, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to come to the mountain to focus on Christ, to set our eyes on Christ in the Eucharist to have that confidence that he is always with us and that we can walk step by step through this life with him, no matter what's going on in our life. But if we take our eyes off of him, if we turn away from him, if we don't give him our life and think that we can do it ourselves, we'll be crushed. We won't make it. So whatever you are experiencing in your life, Whatever is going on, look to Jesus. Turn your eyes to him. Take your eyes off the storm and focus on him. Spend some time in prayer here in the church before the Blessed Sacrament. Come to adoration. Go before our Lord and put your eyes on him. There's a great line from St. John Vianney of this farmer who had come to church every day and he You'd never see him really saying anything. And St. John Vianney went up to him one day and said, what are you doing? And the man says, I look at him and he looks at me. And that's all we need. Look at him so that he can look at us. And if we begin to do this, we can pass this on to our families, our children, those around us. And together we focus on Christ and we seek eternal life as God intends for us to seek it.